Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles 7, and Brother Bob, I want to thank you for minding the Lord. Father, you never cease to amaze me. You're about to see what God did tonight that um, I don't know that if Brother Bob and I would have sat down today and tried to put these two messages together, it could have been any better. I, brother, I uh, just... I'm about to run a lap sitting there, you preaching that, and, and um, there's, the Lord never ceases to amaze me. I'm so, he's so amazing. You're, you're not going to see it right at first, but you're going to see once we get in here, because uh, you're going to get some more of that, and you're going to find out just another thing of, honestly, why we don't do that and why we don't see it the way we ought to see it, the way God sees it, and the why we don't. We don't humble ourselves before an almighty God because He knows what's best for us. He does. He created me. He created you. And He spoke this world into existence. And He knows a whole lot better than I could ever imagine too. So he knows what he needs to bring into my life, just like he knew what he needed to bring into David's life. Because you know what? David wanted it. David wanted to be closer to God. I want to be closer to God, and you know what? I don't care what God has to bring into my life to get me to where he wants me to be, then by all means. But if you look here, and this is uh, in Second Chronicles 7, in, in verse 12, I'll put this into context. We're just going to take one piece of this and then we're going to go from there. But this is when God answers and appears to Solomon and answers his prayer. He had been praying. If you've never studied that out before this and in the beginning of chapter 6 and 7 leading up to this, we all know the verse, you know, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, which we're going to read. But let's look here in verse 12. The Bible says, "...and the Lord appeared to Solomon by night." And said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If, he said, I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. You know what? Our God can do whatever He wants. This is all His anyway. There's nothing we have. There's nothing that we're going to have that isn't His. You know, who do we think we are? Honestly, we need to really think about that a little bit. And, you know, we want to say, well, how can you do that? Or why, why would you do this to me? Or why would you allow this? Or whatever. But, you know, if I shut up heaven, you know what? If he wants to shut up heaven, it's for a reason. There's a reason that he's shutting up heaven. You know, if there be no rain, there's a reason. If, if I command the locusts to devour the lands, there's a reason. There's something that he's trying to get through to us. And I send pestilence among my people. And then he says, that's the context of this that we, need, that we know so well. If my people, he's talking to his people. He's talking to us tonight. He's talking to Christians tonight. If my people, which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Shall humble themselves. This is why God doesn't do things for us. 
This is why we don't see God do amazing things. This is why we don't see God do things today like he did with David. It's because we're unwilling to humble ourselves. I told them kids today, they knew the story of David and Goliath, and I preached to them about putting God in a box. And that's exactly, I said, you know what? You kids put God in a box less than us adults do, in all honesty. But it's because we're unwilling to humble ourselves. It's we're unwilling to get out of our way. God laid on my heart, uh, I don't know, a year ago to preach through each individual one of these people, pieces. The humbling ourselves. You know what? Throw the rest of that verse away. If we're not willing to humble ourselves before an almighty God, just stop reading. Don't, don't, don't go any further. We want to say that and we want to say that. Oh, we want revival. Oh, you know, there's if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. One, we don't humble ourselves enough to, to admit that we have wicked ways. We won't get into that. That's a whole other thing. Study that out. Then, then and then only will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's what America, that's what His people, that's what Christians in America, that's what the church today in America needs to do if we're going to see Him do something and we're going to see Him heal our land. We need to humble ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are. Father, may we all know who You are in a little... In a, in a greater way. Father, after tonight, after this meeting, Father, I thank you and I don't take for granted your presence. And I thank you for what you've already done and what you're doing in hearts. And I thank you for how you, you can just take two servants of yours, including the servant that, is, that you've given over this church, and to mind you Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do and that, Father, you would just fill this place. Father, you would help the hurtingest of heart, the hardest of heart. Father, everybody in here, Father, we all need to hear from you. And, Father, we all need to humble ourselves before you. Father, help us, please. Do what only you can do. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. How, if you're taking notes, how we're unwilling to change, right? There's not one of us in this tent tonight that has some things that we're unwilling to change. And if you don't realize it, you just don't know it yet. But God knows it. We all have some things that we need to change. But we're unwilling to humble ourselves. Why are we unwilling to trust God? Because you know what, that's the fact of the matter is why are we unwilling to humble ourselves is because we don't really trust God. We don't trust Him. You know, 1 Peter 5, if you want to turn, there's much Scripture here. Much Scripture. There, there's uh, 1 Peter 5. If you want to just listen, listen, because I'm going to go through some of the stuff. 1 Peter 5 and, uh, 5 and 6 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's what I want. Yay. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. We all, we all know that. 
God resisteth. I want to say tonight, can I say tonight, God resisteth. My God that loves me, the God that spoke this world into existence, the almighty, all-powerful God that you ought to love, and if you know Him and love Him at all, and that ought to break your heart that your God would resist you because you're prideful. That, that helps me. Every time where I get prideful, every time when I act like I am more than I am, every time whatever, and God brings that back to my memory that He resisteth the proud. He resisteth the proud. I don't want my God. I don't want my Savior. I don't want my God that I love so much that I don't even know. You know, there, there's, I don't want Him to resist me in there's God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves now, he says in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves. Oh God, you know better than I do. God, who am I to say that I can't believe? I don't know why this has happened to me. I don't know why I've had struggles today. I don't know why I had struggles last week. I don't know why I've got to live like this. I don't know why I've got to do this or that or anything else. But who are we to say, oh God, you know much better than I do. Just, just do what you have to do because you know what I need. But see, he can't do that because we're unwilling to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God. I, I honestly, I, I, I don't even like using the illustration to put my hand up here because I, I can't even illustrate. I feel like I, I'm not even doing it justice. The mighty hand of God, that, that's not a mighty hand. That's just a little uh, feverish, just a, a, a man's hand. The mighty hand of God that spoke this world into existence the one that giveth and taketh away, the one that knows the end from the beginning, the mighty hand of God. Who do we think we are? How much do we think we know? Honestly, think about it. This is God. James, James 4, 6. If you want to turn there, it's fine. We'll be here a little bit, but we're going to keep moving. He says in James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. There you go again. If you didn't like it once, there's another time. He resisteth the proud. Not only was it in Peter, but James. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Oh, grace, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. Yeah, you know what? He has a whole lot of grace. But you know what? We have a whole lot of not letting Him give us that grace, too. Think about that. We take so much of God's Word out of context, it's sick. It, and look, I, I've, I've been there. I've done it myself. Some of it not knowingly. But God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient, all right. If. Do, do we not have to take the whole counsel? The whole counsel? of the Bible, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I want you to think about this. I was so blessed, Mrs. Decker, today, when those kids, their, their verse that they were working on, this, this, is, this is the context for that verse. 
but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourself. Submit yourself. Submit is a way of humbling. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We take that out of context, it drives me crazy. People say, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Baloney! You have to submit yourself to God. You have to humble yourself before an almighty God, before any of that's going to happen. And we wonder why people don't believe in God. We wonder why this lost and dying world don't, aren't just, we're like, why? I just don't understand. Because what do they see from us? What do they see from us? Submit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. God, here I am. I know you know much better than me. Whatever you want from me, Lord, it's all yours anyway. Submit and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Ye double-minded. Humble yourselves, it says in verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. He shall lift you up. See, you know what we want to do? We want, to, we want all the good stuff without doing the humbling, without, without bowing to Him, without doing that. You know, we, we want, you, you hear that before, you know, just like resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We, you know, he'll lift you up. He'll lift you up. He'll lift you up. Yes, He will lift you up only after you humble yourself before an almighty God. Only after. Because he, there will be no other gods before Him. And you know what? There's way too many of us that are telling God that we are a God. We are our own God. We are. Because when we don't humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, we're telling him, oh, we got this. We're our own God. We don't need you. Look, I, I've been there. I've been there. But can I say this? We're going to be here in James. It is a joy. Watch this. This is right where it gonna, it's, gonna, it's just going to slide right in behind my brother's message. The, his, and it's all God's message anyway. It is a joy. It is a joy for our God to test and humble us for His glory. It is a joy. It is a joy. What is, what is joy? My daughter's name's Joy. I told her all the time, you've got a lot to live up to. But that's what the Lord told me to, to name her. James 1-2 says this, My brother, James 1-2 Actually, turn there because we're going to be going through some of this. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I want you to get this. I want the Holy Spirit of God to sear this into your heart. I want literally that, that you could get this. If we can get this, God continues to bring this. He's changed my life with this. And, and I'll share that testimony after a while. My brethren in James 1-2, he says. There again, he's talking about brethren. He's talking to us. If you're saved tonight. If you're not, you need to get saved. Remember, it's a joy for our God to test and humble us for His glory. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall 
into diverse temptations or different temptations. Joy means a glorious and triumphant state. Count it all joy when you fall into temptation. Count it all joy when God knows when God knows what you need and He brings those things, He allows those things in your life. Count it all joy. That's why David, I mean, we could go on and on, but I don't need to re-preach his message and add things to it, but count it all joy. He knows exactly what we need. And you know what? He knows what this lost and dying world out here needs to see. And you know what? Because of Hollywood today, if it's not big things, if it's not amazing things that they can't explain, they're just going to explain it away. They're going to explain it away. So count it all joy. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. A glorious state when you have those different temptations, those different trials, those different things that God brings into your life because He knows better than you do. We, we need to go through an exercise like we did with the kids. God knows better than I do. God knows better than I do. God knows better than I do. It's hard to even do that. We can't even humble ourselves to that much. You know what? Because there's no part of this stinking flesh that wants to humble ourselves before our Creator. Our Creator. Our Savior. It is. It's the stinking flesh. We don't want to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Hebrews, stay there in James. I'm going to read this. Remember, it's a joy for our God to test and humble us for His glory. It's a glorious state. Looking, Hebrews 12.2 says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. It was joy. Jesus said, he, it was all joy that he endured the cross, not for him, but for you and for I. He counted it all joy to go and suffer and to spend the time on this earth to come out of heaven for you and I to die that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. He counted it all joy. Who do we think we are? Honestly, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him. Who, would, who wants to go to the cross? Who wants to live like Jesus? You know, when I want to bellyache about living in a camper and having stuff freeze and have to deal with sewage, man, we're loving it here. We don't normally have full hookups. Praise the Lord. You know what the Lord brings to my mind? Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. Who am I? Who am I? I've got it easy. You know, the Lord had me look up a few months ago all the miles that Paul walked when I get discouraged from driving coast to coast all across this country. And all those times of being in a vehicle. And it used to be six of us in a truck. Now it's five of us. We got her good. Because I don't have to have somebody in between me when I'm shifting gears. But you know what? Paul walked. And Paul sailed way more than me. 
my wife's great-great-great-great-grandpa, we just found out, started 100 churches in this area and up in uh, north of here in Tennessee. He's buried in Columbia, Tennessee. And he used to ride. He would, he would I forget how many miles, like 70 miles on a Sunday. All these different, on horseback. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Help me, Lord. Help me to put it in the correct perspective. Count it all joy because look at this in Hebrews 12, 2. Listen to me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Even Jesus had to humble himself to death. And now he's lifted up. He's sitting in heaven with his father you know 33 years he was on this earth and he didn't deserve one bit of it we deserve every bit of what we get and more we do we deserve every bit of it and until we can come to that place that we can see that we're not as good as we think we are and that we need stuff and that you know we're that we're willing to submit ourselves, submit ourselves to the mighty hand of God will never count it all joy when he does what he knows we need better than we ever could imagine. But look here in, in James 1.3. Well, let's put, the, for in the, put it in the context, James 1.2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different, diverse temptations or different temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith Worketh patience. I don't even like to hear the word patience. Brother Bobby, I don't even like to hear that word. I'm not a patient person. There, there's, I, I tell my daughter Joy, I said, you need to have patience. She goes, why, Daddy? You don't. <laughs> That's the truth. But you know what? I have more and more patience. You know why? Because I love my Lord and Savior, and He knows what I need. And he's brought thing after thing after thing after thing into my life to work patience. But watch this. Watch this. Trying, exerting strength. He's trying our faith. He's seeing what we're made of. He's seeing if we're going to walk the walk or are we just going to talk the talk. He's going to see whether we're just going to church, whether we're just doing things to make people think something, because you know what? He needs some people. He needs a lost and dying world. He needs, another, he needs other Christians to see true people that love the Lord, are willing to humble themselves before an almighty God that He can use in a great way. We think people are used in a great way behind a pulpit and all that other kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. You people can be used as Christians more than any of us preachers ever can if you'll just humble yourself before an almighty God. And just say, Lord, whatever. I count it all joy. I'm submitting myself to you. You know what? I've, I've settled in my heart. And my wife don't like when I say this, but the Holy Spirit's telling me to, 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 to say this. You know what? If, if God wants to take my wife, then so be it. She's not mine anyway. God gave her to me. If He wants to take one of my children, who am I to say anything? If He wants to take all of my children, then who am I to say? If He wants to take all my children and my wife and I'm left here alone, 
Who am I to say? As long as he gets the glory. And as long as they can see that I love my Lord and that that's where my strength comes from. I'm not going to say I wouldn't struggle with it. Brother Bobby, I'm like you. I'm married much above myself. I don't know what, what I'd do. I don't know what I would do. But I know I've got a God that does. And my God's big enough. And who am I to say? But I, I hope that some people, that they would get right with God, they would come to Christ, they would do whatever. You know what? I pray for a lot of family members that they would come to Christ. And if that's what it would take, then so be it. I was just in Colorado at a church, and there was a 20-year-old young lady that she, she got saved, and she got so on fire for God, she just prayed. I mean, she was serious about it. She prayed, she said, God, whatever you got to do for my family to get saved, truly get saved. And she was praying that they would come to church. And they finally came to church. Her whole family came to church because she was bugging them. And they came to church on a Sunday, and that next Friday, she got killed in a car accident. And I tell you what, I was at that church, and I watched that whole family get baptized together along with, I watched 45 people get baptized from the age of 7 to 83. And most of them, because of that young lady and what she submitted herself to God, she humbled herself before an almighty God. She said, here I am, Lord. Whatever you've got to do to bring. And you know what? You know how amazing God is? My God is big enough. We, we think he can do one thing, but he can do exceedingly, abundantly above what we can imagine. And that's what he did. I sat there and wept. I did. I sat there and wept. I was supposed to preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. He said, brother, I'm sorry, but we got to have a baptism service. I said, uh, praise the Lord. It was the sweetest thing. I don't know if I'll ever see anything like that again, it, that exact thing. But I know that if, if we would have some Christians, we'd have some churches and different things that would humble ourselves before an almighty God, we would see that would just be the start of it. But it takes a 20-year-old, it takes a young lady that, that came out of, you know, their, her family wasn't in, in church or any of that kind of stuff. See, we've got it too good in America. We've been in church. We've been too comfortable, all these different things. That's why, look, I don't like to carry this big old tent around and do all this work, my, make my kids sleep with it and all these different things. I don't like to do that. But who am I to say? Because some people, some Christians in America need to get out of their comfort zone and they need to humble themselves before an almighty God. Because what is that, a little bit of discomfort? To let God maybe work. Let God do something that we need anyway, that we can get to the place that we can count it all joy. Oh, a glorious state. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that you did this, that you allowed this into my life. Thank you that I have to live like this. Thank you that I've got to do this. Thank you that I've got to sacrifice because it's not a sacrifice. It's like Brother Bobby and I was talking today. You know what? People make a big deal out of what I did and what I walked away from. There's being a businessman and, and all this stuff and big high-paying job and all these things and selling my family farm and all that. But you know what? I didn't give up nothing. I trusted God and I obeyed Him. It's that simple. It's that simple. Nothing more, nothing less.
But you see, it says, knowing this, that my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Knowing that, that this is the trying of your faith, worketh patience. That God knows better than you. But let patience, it says in verse 4, have her perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That God gets you where He knows you need to be. Do you even know where you need to be? We think we do. We think we're good. We think we're good. But my Bible says, take heed lest ye fall. Take heed lest ye fall. The worst thing you can do is, is think that you're in the right place. Maybe perfect and tired, wanting nothing. Romans 5.1. Stay here in James, but go to Romans 5 if you want to, but just listen. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, Paul says, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. You've heard this before. And hope, watch this in verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed. Maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we are yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. But watch this. And hope. You know, each one of these patients, the tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. There's a lost and dying world, if you haven't noticed. They're without hope. They're without hope. They're without hope. You know, I don't know if you preachers notice this. There's, a, there's initials that are carved into the pulpit. You know what that is? That's a young man on an Indian reservation that's without hope. And he wanted some attention. Kenneth. Standing bear. Many, many people, thousands of people on just that reservation. He did that this summer when we set this tent up. But he has no hope. They're killing themselves all the time because there's no church of any kind there. Because even the church people in that area couldn't believe that we would go there and set up a tent and that I would keep my family there for a week. They're like, that's a dangerous place. I said, my God's bigger than that. I know this is what my God wants me to do, and that's what we're going to do, and He'll protect us. Because they have no hope. They have no hope. Do we really have hope? Does the world really see the way that we act or react, that we have hope? Most of us not. Let's be honest. Because when we put our faith in trust in everything but God. We're unwilling to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And we're just like the world. We're going after all the same things there. We, we, they know that uh, you know, we, we, we probably trust in the physician more than they do. 
We just, we just say we're going to pray because that's our insurance policy if the other doesn't work. Think about it. But watch that in verse 5. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed. How many of us have been ashamed of Christ? I'm ashamed to admit this. But I've been ashamed of Christ to share Him way too much. There's a lump in my throat because I'm ashamed of the one that's done it all for me. That's done it all. That gave it all and would still do anything for me if I would just humble myself before Him. But I'm ashamed. So I'm not near where I need to be. So who am I to say, God, how can you do this? Who am I to say, God, I don't need you? Because I really do. And he knows how much I really do. And he knows how much you really do. But your choice is whether you're going to humble yourself before the almighty hand of God and all of that. But you see what we ask, if, you, if, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and braided not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave, a sea driven, a wind and tossed. You're double-minded. Oh, I have faith. But happens, what happens when you have faith at the beginning, and then you don't have faith? He says you're double-minded. He says you're double-minded because you're unwilling. You're not where you need to be. God needs to bring you. You need to count it all joy. But I want you to look. There, there's, can I say this? That He knows better. He knows better than us. We'll finish reading through here and I'm just about done. For let not the man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord if you waver. If you're double-minded. If you don't have faith. Because that means we don't, we're not humbling ourselves before God. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower, the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. You know what? We may be good today, but not tomorrow. We're going to need God tomorrow. You know what? God knows that we, if he doesn't keep us in a place of needing him, he knows our fleshly being. He knows that if, if it's good for too long, that we're not going to need Him. So He's got to bring those things. So we have to count it all joy. God, thank You that You know that I need You more than I can imagine. That I really realize I don't even know what I don't know. Blessed, it says there in verse 12. James 1.12, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Not, he didn't say good, blessed. The way we look at it is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted 
watch this, when he is drawn away of his own, of his own lust, and enticed. And then the lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, what is finished, bringeth forth death. You can write these down, but I ask you this question. Are we not all right in our own eyes? Are we not all right in our own eyes? Let's be honest. I'm way too much. I think I'm right. I'm right in my own eyes. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 15, just write these down, just listen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The way of a fool. The way of a fool. I'm a fool sometimes when I'm right in my own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, Proverbs 14, 12. But the end thereof are the ways of death. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord waiteth the spirit, weigheth the spirits. Every way, Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord pondereth the hearts. The Lord knows the truth. Proverbs 26, 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Proverbs 30, 12 and 13. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There's a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. I close with this illustration. You say, brother, brother Mike, where did this come from? Well, you know, I told you the story of about a year and a half ago when I preached in this tent under, under this tent in a tornado, right? That God gave me a message and He told me to deliver that message even to my family if that's what it was. This was the message. It was the first revival last year in April, first tent revival, and God had put on my heart to go and try to find the people that are searching in this country. The people that are looking and searching for the truth, both lost and Christian. And he, he told me to every two weeks set it up, and we had a, we had a, a, a new, newlywed couple travel with us the whole year. But you see, there was, every time we'd move, our life's not easy trying to do things and living on the road and, and moving and moving and moving and sometimes moving twice a week and, and different things like that. And I'm not trying to uh, make you feel sorry for me or any of that kind of stuff because you know what? If that's what God wants, then so be it. Then so be it. But you see, Satan would fight every single time. Every single time we would be moving, getting, getting ready to move. And I'm like, oh, Satan's just fighting. God's going to do something. I would excuse it away. I would make excuses for it. I would do this and do that. And I, you ask my wife, and, and she, she can tell you whatever the Lord puts on her heart. There, there's, but time in and time in and time again, that would happen. And, and we'd fight. The kids would be at each other. My wife and I sometimes would be at each other. You know, sometimes it got better to where my wife and I would help. But it's like, it was just Satan was just always there and always fighting and always thinking. I would excuse it away. And, and 
different things and, and she would change and, and the kids would do better and it would still happen. And we're about to start these revivals all this time and, and Satan's just fighting. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm about to preach on, on this Sunday. It was Sunday to Sunday, just like this. That's when the Lord put that on my heart. And I said, God, I'm, no, I'm in no shape to preach. I got to preach. God, what, what I don't understand, you keep, you, you, keep, you keep allowing Satan to fight. I don't get it. What test am I failing? What am I doing for the first time? I said, Lord, I'm not right. I humbled myself before him. I couldn't go to sleep that night. I couldn't go to sleep that night, and I'm just weeping, and he takes me to this place in James, and I, and I read, I can still feel it like it was yesterday, it, that my brethren count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and that God knows better. And I just started weeping. I said, oh God, forgive me. You've been allowing Satan. You've been trying to show me that I'm overrunning my family. That I'm pushing them. That I'm doing this. My lack of patience. And my trying to do it. And my seeing that I'm right in my own eyes. And bless God, it's their fault. It's their fault. Uh, it's the dog's fault. I don't know whose fault it is. But it's anybody but me. Because I'm unwilling to humble myself before the mighty hand of God. And I just weeped, and I, I couldn't, and I'm just praying, and then the Lord let me sleep for a few hours, and I woke up in the morning, and, and he, he's, he's given me this, and I'm like, Lord, please forgive me, because you did a whole lot more for me than I could ever do for you, and you know a whole lot more than I do. Who do I think I am? Forgive me for my unbelief. Can I ask you tonight, how are you unwilling to change? How are you unwilling to humble yourself before an almighty hand of God and realize that, you know what, God's bringing these things in your life because He knows a whole lot better than you ever could or ever will. Let's stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed.